0: Game On with Jackson Stewart on
1: YouTube at Game On with Jack on the official blog www.gameonwithjack.blog
0: and at the new store www.gameonwithjack.shop. Keep it sexy and game on. What if you could be a better player for the cost of one more cup of coffee a month? Get access to a growing library of lit erotica, behind-the-scenes action, and player's guides with tips on drinking, cooking, fitness, Dating, sex, and life after dark. Low tier rate while offer lasts. Patreon.com. Game on with Jack. Keep it sexy and game on. This is Dale Valor. This is Pamela Ross. This is Tranesia. And you're listening. And you're listening to Game on with Jackson Stewart. to Game on with Jackson Stewart. Game on with Jackson Stewart killing him.
2: One can only win the game when one is properly fueled. And that fuel is often food and good food at that. Preparing meals and mastering one's own culinary style is a game unto itself. The true player is not beholden only to others for sustenance, but can also create a bit of savory magic on their own. The way to anyone's heart is truly through their stomach. Our guest this evening knows about kitchen seduction and its powers. Chef Joe Gatto. Is an author, host of the hit cutting edge cooking show, Joe Gatto's From Scratch, currently airing on Pluto TV and Roku. He's a renowned private chef to A-list clients, including Celtic and Red Sox players. He's also host of the show From Scratch on WBUR Radio Boston, an NPR affiliate. Chef Joe is best known for his ability to bring people together with cooking by making it accessible, fun, and highly memorable. And Joe Gatto's From Scratch. Joe successfully melded his unbridled passion for scratch cooking, entertaining personality and filmmaking background to create a unique cooking show with heart. From making charcoal to hand forging knives to milking cows to making his own bacon, Joe takes food to its origins. And in doing so showcases the fascinating farmers and food artisans behind it all. In 2019, Page Street published his book, Seriously from Scratch, and is now in development for his new show, This is Not a Cooking Show, where he will take some of the biggest stars in Hollywood on an unforgettable culinary adventure. Chef Gatto is also our guest this evening. All right, guys, you've heard the introduction and bio. Now join me in welcoming to Game On the focused, the creative, and the determined Chef Joe Gatto. Joe, how you doing?
1: I am doing awesome. Thanks so much for having me on today. I'm uh, really pumped to be here.
2: Uh, We're pumped to have you and let's uh, let's get into it. Can you give the audience a name and platform by which to find you uh, on social media?
1: Absolutely. um, At Chef Joe Gatto on Instagram, everything I have funnels to there from my TV show to my NPR show to my book. You can find everything right off my Instagram, which is at Chef Joe Gatto.
2: Now, where are you from and where did you grow up?
1: I am from Boston and I grew up in Boston and then in my 20s I lived in Berkeley and then LA.
2: Wow, so you've you've got a uh, a wide landscape to pull from. Have you did that travel, did that landscape going from coast to coast? Did that influence how you got into the business? Yeah. Um,
1: you know, it's an interesting journey for me because I started off in my twenties as a filmmaker and that's what I moved to California to do. And in the interim of being in California, I was introduced to a lot of new cuisines because you know in Massachusetts Everything's very influenced by the European culture, you know. So when I moved over to California, it was much more influenced by the Asian culture and the Mexican culture. And I found the flavors there to be way more towards what I love. And at the same time, I was doing film. So it, it was an, it's been an interesting journey for sure because I didn't become a chef until I was in my thirties.
2: That is, that is, that is very, um, yeah, that is very interesting because such, so- you know, most people, I think, when, when they get an image of a chef and a chef at your level, they're thinking, you know, from the second that they got a baby food, you know, this person has had this this fine palate and this very exotic perspective of a kitchen and with tools. And and then they, you know, they go to France and they studied, But you're coming at it, you know, I hate to say it later in life, but, you know, it, as an adult male, you decided, was that a did that pose a challenge for you as compared to other chefs who had been, you know, for lack of a better way to put it, at it from day one? Yeah, I've never been one for um,
1: comparison. I've always tried to do what I love. And when I was doing film, I really love film and I love TV. I love writing it. I love directing it. Um, I met my wife. Um, she came to work as a producer on a feature film I, was, I had written and directed. And I learned so much from making film about organization, pre-production, just kind of how to actually, it's very applicable of how I run my life. Just you have to really be organized and, you know, it's not just the art part. There's a lot to it. And I love that mix of, you know, kind of the art and the business and the science, you know, it comes into play in food as well. So when, we were in L.A. and I was, you know, making short films, music videos, the whole deal, just kind of doing the independent filmmaker life. And my wife was working at an agency. You know, she got pregnant with my son. And for as much as I love the business, um, the people in the business, you know, not all of them, I made, I made a lot of good friends, but the business itself is not the nicest business, for film, it's um, it's just a lot of it's just a lot of backstabbing and just not I'm not that kind of person. So I didn't really fit into that crowd. And I had always cooked, you know, I was up at the, up on the counter with my mom when I was a kid. And I was always very adventurous with it and got very good at it. And when Food Work, Food Network was in its infancy was when all this was going on for me. It had just, you know, food network was a big boom. That's when Emerald was on yellow bam and all that. And I started really getting into like breaking things down and really getting into some kind of intense cooking. And then my, a friend of ours suggested I started teaching out of our house because I had like this knack for showing people how to do things. And I did. And I found that I, I it really just sung to me. It really just was what, it was kind of like light dawn on Marblehead kind of thing. It really, I, I kind of found what I wanted to do. So when my wife got pregnant, we didn't want to raise our son there. And we jetted back to where we're from, which is here. And our, both our families are here. And when that happens, I started teaching and it kind of took off. I got hired by a company to teach. And then a woman who uh, came in to take a class ended up, owning a private chef company and she thought my food was phenomenal. So she asked me to come and audition for her and I did. And she gave me a job as a private chef and I had all these clients. And then I bought the business from her because I, I kind of figured it out. And when I bought the business from her, I changed it a little bit. So it was more a listers and started promoting it that way. And then I got, I got a Red Sox player and then that, that opened up, once I got a professional professional athlete, it opened me up to other professional athletes. So I ended up cooking for Celtics players, and like when Chris Paul and the Sons came in, I, I cooked for them, and it just kind of opened this bigger door. And I started meeting all these other chefs because I was promoting what I was doing, which is everything from scratch. So I was teaching myself how to break down whole animals. I was grinding my own flour. I was, you know, making my own cheeses. And that opened me up to a lot of chefs that were interested in seeing what I was doing. None of them held it against me that I didn't go to culinary school. They were just interested on how far I was taking everything. And then a chef introduced me, and I got a book deal. He introduced me to his publisher, who's still a good friend of mine. I'm actually going to his chain of barbecue places tomorrow and do a little video with him, Andy Husband's, The Smoke Shop, if you want to look that up, Amazing Barbecue. And then my wife said, you should do a TV show. She said, you have the backgrounds, you have the understanding. And she said, I think you'd be unbelievable on camera. So I sat down for two days. I wrote a pilot and like it went from there. Like it just went from there. I knew everybody that could help me shoot it. So I got a kitchen, called my buds, shot a pilot ended up meeting these angel investors who wanted to open a restaurant, which I didn't want to do, but I showed them my pilot. They loved it. They gave me the whole money. They gave me all the money for a whole season. I wrote a whole season and produced it. And then we got a distributor and then we got picked up by Pluto. And now I'm developing two new shows and you know, we've talked with Food Network, Hulu, everybody under the sun, and it just keeps growing.
2: You know, one of the things, well, there's a lot that's amazing to unpack in that. And I, I, I can't help but congratulate you on all that amazing success. But, well, thank you. But there's two things that you said in there that I, I think really most people don't, would never, would never put together. And to paraphrase, you, you took a passion, but you also married it with structure. I think a lot of people, right. whether they be in, uh, whether they be entrepreneurs, whether they be, um, you know, in modeling or music or whatever it is, they have this, you know, we're kind of fed this false narrative that you, you can't be successful at what you're passionate about. You have to pick something that's very rote and already laid out. Or if you find something that. You are successful at, it's going to be this wild, reckless abandon. And what you just said, and I want, I want you guys listening to, to pay attention to that is that, you know, Joe had a passion for food, but he applies the structure to get stuff done. So you can have your passion and your business put together and, and be successful at it as obviously, uh, you know, Joe is. So I totally wanted to take time to point that out. And then Joe, I, you have this success that's driven by you that's, you know, you've interacted and, and kind of made a road with, with people that you've talked with and been uh, surrounded by. Who are some of the influences for you? Whether they be other chefs, maybe, maybe there's somebody in the filmmaking industry who influences uh, Chef Gatto?
1: You know, it's it's such a multitude of people because it's for a multitude of reasons. You know, it could be Steven Spielberg just because he's so true to his art or it could be, you know, Chef Rick Bayless because he loves the history of food and digs in so deep and has an understanding that food isn't just what you put in your mouth. It's a piece of culture. So. Every day it could be Led Zeppelin, you know, I could be listening to physical graffiti and <laughs> yeah. you know just rocking out as i'm as I'm building a new dish for Instagram, and I could hear something in a song, you know, Robert Plant could drop a lyric that just blows my mind. It could be my kid out back doing something that I just never imagined, you know, just helping a friend or doing something like that. The influences for me lie in life and they're just constant and it's never just a it's never just you know an iconoclast it's more than that because food to me has always been more like I was saying than just something you're eating when you're when you're dealing with food and I make food food is so unique because it can break down barriers quicker than anything let it be religion politics race, it doesn't matter. When you share a meal and you sit down with somebody, you're giving a part of yourself and sharing that meal and sharing you and sharing your heritage and sharing your culture. And that comes across when you put that dish in front of someone. So food's bigger than that. And influences, I mean, they're everywhere. It could be a little conversation with someone at the gas station. You never know where it's going to come from. You just have to keep your eyes out and not have a narrow field of vision that it has to be someone that's big or it has to come from a book that you're reading that everybody thinks is great. Let it, you know, it's an everyday thing that you can learn from because it inspiration and influence is out there all the time.
2: So it sounds like you having a permeable kind of existence has helped you catapult yourself to where you are now. Is that a correct statement?
1: I would say that's a thousand percent true. My wife always says that I'm very malleable, and I agree with that because uh, it's just, you know, food to me has just been such a fun journey because food, like what I do when I make, you know, breaking things from scratch, when we are on the show, people haven't seen it. You know, when I say from scratch, it's not like we're making pies. I'm making my own charcoal, I'm hand-forging knives, I'm pulling water out of the Atlantic, making salt, I'm milking cows and making butter and cheese. I'm distilling rum. I'm going all the way with it. And when I was meeting these, all these different purveyors and farmers and everything as the journey was going, as we were shooting the show, I, it came to me that food is just such a beautiful thing because what these people do, it's, it's the most perfect equation of art and science because you mm-hmm. need both to create a dish that's really memorable. You need that art to really dig deep into it, but you need that science to understand how to execute it.
2: You know, uh, a friend of mine once told me, he said, every culture has three things in common. They all have to eat. They all have some form of alcohol and they all have some, they all have sex because those are, you know, two of those are basic human needs. And then there's the alcohol. (laughs) The alcohol helps the other two, but I um I mean yeah I I agree a hundred percent with everything you're saying because I've I take the heart very very g- tenderly or gingerly, I guess the phrase to break bread if I'm gonna sit and eat with you I like you or I want to get to know you I don't break bread mm. people I don't like because exactly it, I'm not gonna enjoy my food I'm not gonna feel like I digest it properly and when I'm eating that special time, I don't like to waste my time. So, you know, if you're just, a, uh, if you're clearly a, a self-absorbed jackass, I'm not even going to have like french fries with you because this is my time with yeah. your french fries. But, you know, to your point that food is something that's very, very cultural, very intimate, very much an exchange between people. And uh, Right. And
1: But even what you said there, Jackson, right? Like even if there is an ignoramus at your table, right? Or somebody at your house that you don't like. You might be able to really dig a little deeper into them and find out more by sharing something with them. That's like that. by, you know, like it, it does have that ability. Food is unique in that sense of where it can really break someone down to their core in a sense. When, some, when, a, when food hits to and brings back those memories rushing, it's like how they shot it in ratatouille you know, and it just, it really makes you think about everything from your past to your relationships and food can do that. That's true. You, know, you might find something in someone that you didn't even know was there and, you know, it was all because of, you know, who, and, it, and the food could be anything. It could be, you know, I mean, it could be eggs Benedict for all we know. It, it's just that moment that, that really brings people together and you can, I mean, they might still be a jackass and then you, you know, just know that you don't feed them again. But
2: <laughs> now with the foundation we've just laid, that food is so, so special and so unique and so powerful. Why do you find or why do you feel that cooking intimidates men? And obviously not all men, but I think a lot of guys out there get intimidated by, oh, no, I've got to cook or I've got to make dinner. Or oh, What do you think is that the root of that?
1: I, I think it's how you're raised. Mm, You know, I I really do From, from over the years when I was, you know, I used to private chef a lot more. Now, you know, I do so much more of the media with TV and everything. But I was dealing with a lot of families and, you know, most of the dads didn't cook. Most of the moms were, you know, not interested in cooking But when people don't cook. And we still do big classes. They're more like demos, you know, 30, 40 people. And we're pulling fresh moths, teaching people how to make pizzas and, you know, crepes and things like that. But what I find is one of the first things out of people's mouths is, yeah, my family never cooked when I was growing up. Mm -hmm. And then I compare it to now if piano was like food and everybody had to, you know, play piano to survive but your family was one of the families that didn't play piano and now you're 20 or 25 and you've never played piano and now people are coming over to listen. You play piano. You don't want to play piano.
2: Right. Cause the intimidation is there. Right. And it's
1: set in and it's permanent. And now what happens with, with people, right? You perpetuate that fear. So you, now you now you start saying, well, I can't cook. Right. When you don't know that it's not true because you've just never been taught. It's not that you can't cook. It's that you haven't learned to cook. And that's one of the things that I try to change with because I feel, you know, my TV show and my radio show wasn't ever made to propel me into stardom. It was made as a platform, as a bigger teaching platform. It was a way for me to reach people to show you that all of this is accessible. People think I'm crazy sometimes for the things I do. But when I learn core cooking of, you know, why I'm grinding flour and why that works or why you use higher protein flour for pizza, it's to teach people. It's to show them why pizza works. And now you can make better pizza at home because I, I, I was put on this earth to help people learn and to teach and get people passionate about because I love what I do. And I, I'm brimming like a Coke overflowing on a, in a glass to constantly show people how to do something and let them into my world. And I've done a lot of the legwork for them.
2: You know, I want to unpack something you said there because it's obviously uh, applicable to what you do, but it applies to everything. Guys, stop saying that you can't do something and just say that you haven't learned how to do it yet. And this goes for, you know, I mean, and we could be talking about anything from, you know, uh, Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hale. We could be talking about, mm-hmm. um, Secret. We could talk about anything. I mean, even if, if people don't, uh, subscribe to that type of mentality, just regular business or money making, if you say you have trouble making money, you are always going to have trouble making money. If, 100%. If you say you, you'll, you, you'll never run a marathon. You're right. You will never run a marathon. I think it's Henry Ford that says you know, if you think you can or if you think you can't, you're right. So, yeah. I, I love what you just said. Stop saying you can't cook. I mean, I remember when I learned how to cook, I was I was younger. But until I learned, I didn't know how to cook. Right. And Right. You weren't,
1: like, my kids, I have five, a five, a ten, and a 13-year-old here. They can all cook already. My thirteen-year-old is—he's going to be just fine. Yeah, yes. Yeah. I mean, he's teaching classes where he's making pasta from scratch, Giant. and he's teaching you know 15, 20 adults. So I've given them that skill to go out with. But you know, back to our point, like, it of course it's going to be intimidating, but cooking is not hard. It it's you. It takes a lot to learn. How, I mean, it really, it's up to you. It How far do you want to take it? To learn the basics isn't that hard, but there's nothing wrong. I had this conversation the other day because even if you get a dish wrong, most likely it's still going to be pretty good. Like it, it's not yes. going to be an abject. And if it is an abject disaster, so what? Right. I mean, failure to me doesn't really even exist because – What is failure? Failure is when you say, i failed. Up until that point, it's a learning process. If I make a dish and it doesn't work, and then I don't make it again, okay, now you can say i failed at it. But if I make that dish and it doesn't work, and I say, okay, what did I do wrong here? Oh, maybe it needs more acid to get balanced, blah, blah, blah. And then I do it again. It doesn't quite work, but it's better. If I give up there, yep, failure. But then when I do it again, and now it's where I like it. So now there's no failure involved there because it's the learning process. People get so caught up in failure and fear of failure. There is no such thing because it's just, it's just about if you're going to give up. It's okay when things don't go to plan. They're not supposed to. Mike Tyson said, everyone has a plan until you get punched in the face. face. Right. Yes. That's my favorite quote. That's what America is. If you think, if you think life, if you think you're going to look at life and say, this is my plan, and it's going to go A to B, you are out of your mind. Life is going to laugh at you. Life is just going to giggle all day when you say that. You have to understand, you have to have pre production. You have to understand what's going to happen. The reason I say that you have to have pre production is, Because when you're making like TV, right? This is just it, but it, this applies to life. You have to have everything in order before you shoot, before a frame goes. You have to have everything planned out to a T. Why? Because everything's going to go to shit. Yep.
2: A hundred percent. And
1: if you have everything, if you understand what you're trying to do to the core, you can, you can surf that wave.
2: Well, it, if you go in blind, you're screwed. It, it's that malleability that that your wife attributed right. to you. It's a, here's the here's the end result I'm shooting for. I realize that from here to there, there's going to be some things I cannot possibly anticipate, but I can adapt. Right. You and that's
1: that's the key right there. If you can adapt, then you're okay because it won't it won't come out the way you thought. It won't work the way you thought. Nothing does, and it shouldn't. Because that's what life is. It's an experience, yeah. and you're supposed to be engaged I, I and did, involved. Uh,
2: I, I did. Um, I was a ring man once, or a corner man. I'm sorry, corner man for uh, some some less than reputable fighting. It was just, it was neighborhood fighting. It wasn't sanctioned or anything well, like that. That's awesome. But I, I was the corner man for a guy, and so we're watching this guy who he's about to fight. And the guy I was, I was supporting. Was he was laying out this whole plan and stuff. And I'm like, all right, what are you gonna do when you get hit? He's like, what do you mean? I'm like, when you get hit, how are you gonna handle it? <laughs> He's like, well, I'm not gonna get hit. And I was like, yeah, let's see how that goes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Good luck out there. Yeah, you're you're gonna even the greats have all gotten hit, but um, next question. It's, I it's to- like that that
1: adage that a jujitsu master, right? A jiu-jitsu master has lost thousands of times, but he has a black belt. Yep.
2: Oh, God, that's a great right? quote. Yes. 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 And having so, so having studied jiu-jitsu, you, I, I can attest to the fact that you're not good. I, I've been choked up many times, too, my yeah, friend. You're not yeah. good, and you don't have scars to prove it. Right, because it's
1: constant, no matter how long you've been doing something, if you're passionate about it, you're constantly learning. There is no final destination. One of the big things I've done this year is to forget about the carrot. Once I get this, then I'll be happy. Once I get this, then I'll be happy. It's a constant journey. And you, and having learned myself just really well, At this point in my life, and I'm still learning constantly, but I would I'm a chaser, you know, it's like, you know, if you told me 10 years ago, I'd have a TV show, I'd have an NPR show, I'd have a national book, I'd know every chef, I'd have worked with Andrew Zimmerman. And, you know, like, I'd have all of this, I would have been like, oh, man, that's it. But now I'm here. And now <laughs>
2: yeah.
1: I want more, I'm
2: right? Laughing. I want I I'm laughing, I, I see sure.
1: that I can do something more. I can do a network TV show, right? And so instead of always chasing it, I've really had this year and enjoyed the moment more. Enjoying the moment with my family, enjoying the moment when I'm on the radio, you know, not worried about I wonder how many listeners are going to be for this show or You know, if we don't get this one with Food Network, what are we going to do? It's about enjoying the writing process and just knowing that when I was younger, one of the things I wanted to do was be a writer and be a director and be on TV. And now I'm doing that. So sometimes you have to kind of smack yourself a little bit and be like, hey, man, you're doing it. Enjoy this part, too. Always try, always go for your goals, but know that when you've achieved something, that you have to recognize that part. So you you can thank yourself for getting that far. It's important to recognize when you've achieved something and it's okay to kind of bathe in it for a minute and be happy with it.
2: I, I'm laughing because when you said forget about the carrot, I'm thinking, oh hell, like are we talking about vegetables all of a sudden? <laughs> <And> then,
1: <Yeah. laughs> I just transition like nobody's business, right? <laughs> like,
2: oh my God, man, I'm gonna get an <laughs> email from the carrot people bitching and moaning about how we told them to forget about them. Um right, the
1: celery people yeah. are gonna
2: start talking now I'll get endorsements from the celery people with the care people now hate me uh what are what are three things that you think every man should know about cooking and so let let's say we're talking to the guy who has now gotten past the concept of can't cook, but he's still scared okay. he's still it, there he's still there's a there's a chasm between. I haven't learned yet, and I'm I'm doing it. There's fear in that chasm. What are three things that he should know that help him bridge that gap?
1: I mean, I think one thing that would really help, I think one thing that would help anyone really is make bread. Make bread. Making bread will help every part of your cooking game because once you learn it, you can kind of let go and just start creating and it's totally Zen. And then all of a sudden it opens up this whole new world because if you really want to learn something by learning bread, that opens up the the world of, Hey, I'm having all my boys over on Sunday. I'm going to make the slider rolls and grind my own beef and I'm going to blow them out of the water. So things that you can do, that instead of always shortcutting with a jar is something I would always suggest for people. If you're buying your own pizza, if you're buying pizza dough, don't do that. If you're buying canned, you know, jarred sauces for like spaghetti or anything like, don't do that. Make it. It will be better. You'll be happier and it will start opening up another skill set. Another thing, always have one good knife. An eight inch chef knife that's always sharp. You don't need a knife block of knives because you're never going to use them. Get one good eight inch chef knife and make sure it's top of the line. You don't have to spend thousands of dollars, but have a great, have a great knife. And another thing I would suggest is having a couple great pans as go to. And a thing I run into a lot is just because you can turn on the grill doesn't mean you can grill.
2: Ooh, that last one. I mean, they were all great. That last one really hit. I think a lot of guys, I, I am admittedly not a good griller. And I recognize that's a limitation. Um, I, I did. It's a, just another form of heat. Yeah. I mean, well, you know, anytime I a meat cooking, that, that saved my life. The meat thermometer made a big difference for me because yeah, that's a great one. Meat thermometer. Love that one. Yeah. Because you're, you're eyeballing it and I'm always afraid I was going to undercook something that I'm giving people, you know, botulism, or whatever the hell. And, but the meat thermometer is like, nope, 164 degrees, you're good. You can stop right now and it's like, okay.
1: One of the great things you can do with the meat thermometer is like if you're doing, say you're doing New York strips and you that's your favorite cut of beef and you're doing them on the grill, right? And you make sure that you're taking your steaks out like half hour, 45 minutes beforehand so they come, you know, they just get to temp better and you're always salting it and then you're always drying your protein before you're putting it on the grill or in a pan so there's no water steaming off. You're getting a real great... Hard caramelized sear and the Maillard reactions working for you, right? But if you have that meat thermometer and it gets to say you like them at 140, right? And it gets to 140. I tell people, listen, I teach a steak class when it gets to 140 and that's where you like it, take it off and poke it with your finger repeatedly. So you know what it feels like mm-hmm. every single time. Great. And after you do it 15, you know, 10 times. When you poke it without the thermometer, you know exactly what it's supposed to feel
2: like. My next question is one of my favorite questions. In keeping with the theme of sexiness, what is the sexiest thing about you? The
1: sexiest thing about me. Um, <laughs> that's a good one.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Don't feel that literally uh, that question has stunned everybody that's ever been on this show. I,
1: I would have to say that the sexiest thing about me is that I'm a really good dad and a really good husband.
2: And what to you makes a person sexy? What, should I say, um, what, what do you think is the sexiest quality a person can have? The se- I love a sense of humor
1: and um, I love someone that can sing. And if we're just – Talking looks, you know, I, I would definitely say for me it's long legs, but a sense of humor is gonna get me because anyone that can make me laugh, that's <laughs> that's my cup of tea for sure.
2: It is now time for the quick game, folks, where we like to run where we like to give our guests a chance to run through some entertaining questions. And Joe, are you ready? Absolutely. All right. Don't overthink it. Let's go. If you could be any fictional character for a day, who would it be and why?
1: Any fictional character, I think I would be Quentin Jaws. <laughs> and why? Because Quentin is the friggin' manliest man ever put on screen, and I just think he's the boss. So I would love to be Quentin for a day. And and I, and he gets eaten by a shark and say. like takes it like a man.
2: I was going to say... All the way up to the, to completion, you're going to be a Quint. Gotcha. I like that.
1: Oh, oh yeah. I've got to do, uh, you know, <laughs> I, I've got to go down with the ship. So I, I, I'll get eaten by the shark. That's, that's
2: a hell of a day. It is. I, I, I remember I saw Jaws, you know, when I was, when I was a kid, I remember seeing it was a rerun. I saw it as a kid. And then years later, I remember thinking Quinn or Quint, it's Quinn, right? Or Quint. Quint. Quint is the modern day Ahab in a sense. And I was like, wow. Oh, one, uh, yeah. A thousand
1: percent. Benchley has even talked about that and, and how, you know, in the, in the book, you know, the great white whale drags him under the water because it's attached to the harpoon cable. And so, you know, that's definitely a version of that, of where the great white shark then eats, eats him.
2: What was your first Halloween Which is, costume?
1: The first Halloween costume I remember was um, my mom and I made a robot costume and it was made out of like a whole bunch of cardboard boxes that we glued tinfoil on. And I remember all my friends friggin' loved it.
2: <laughs> if you were stranded on a deserted island and could only have three things, what type of pizza would you want to be delivered to you? Uh,
1: I wouldn't want delivery. I'd make it.
2: Of, of course you would. Yeah. Um, <laughs> favorite. favorite I would make it I would
1: make it, and it would have to have fresh mots and uh, small cup pepperoni.
2: <laughs> They're like, but Joe, here's a plan. You're like, no, I want the fresh cut Mott's.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry, guys. Can you, you mind turning around? I know that's probably
2: a pain in the ass, but. <laughs> <laughs> Who's your favorite musician? Oh, wow. That's, man, that
1: opens up a ca- can of worms. Um It could be. Could be Robert Plant, could be Missy Elliott, um, could be Snoop Dogg. I mean, like the Kirk Cobain. Wow, that's tough. I, I could never just name one if I today I was listening to a lot of Missy Elliott. So I'll say Missy Elliott.
2: And I think everybody you mentioned, I believe, is either going to be or is currently in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Oh, wow. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, uh, I almost said Jim Morrison as well. Yeah, I remember hearing that, uh, Missy Elliott is slated to be the first, I think, female hip hop artist inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I think she got. Oh, wow. You know, they, she's
1: they, she's freaking amazing.
2: Oh, yeah. You know, they, they pull people out of this list and I think she made the cut. Um, have you ever worn Crocs before? No. Sweet or savory? Savory. Least favorite season? Winter. If you could only eat one color of food for the rest of your life, what color would it be and why?
1: One color of food. Holy crap. Um, one color of food probably be yellow because of corn.
2: Ah, okay. And absolutely, my favorite question is who inspires you? Um, I, my mom
1: she's the hardest worker I know. And I mean, this is a woman that went back to school and graduated from Harvard when she was 46.
2: That ain't easy. Yeah.
1: Yeah. You, uh, if you, if you're not kicking ass, you know, that comes up in conversation around the dinner table. So, (laughs) Right. If you want to mail it in, Oh, here's my, here's my mom who graduated from Harvard, you know, and she, She's still like shovel, she's 80, 85 and still shovels her driveway and runs her house like a, like a beast.
2: <laughs> that's, that's like a silver bullet. Like, oh, mom, I had a rough day and blah, blah. She goes, oh, yeah, yeah. Hey, real quick, reach with her and give me that Harvard diploma and pass it over here. <laughs> You're like, oh, fuck. yeah, right,
1: right. Oh, yeah. Was it as hard as when I went to community college for 18 years to build up enough credits to go to Harvard? Was it, was it
2: that hard? <laughs> oh man. God bless her. I love it. Uh, good people, sexy people that wraps up our interview with the focused, the creative and the determined uh, Chef Joe Gatto Joe, we'll see you soon, thank you so much for joining us
1: that was an absolute blast thank you so much for having me, hope I can come back sometime